Hi there, and welcome to Tending the Threshold, an eight-part podcast mini-series. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola. These special edition episodes of the Numinous Podcast feature conversations with my fellow presenters at the Tending the Threshold Conference, an event happening in Ashland, Oregon, on May 26th and 27th, 2018. This extraordinary event is a gathering of change makers, bridge builders, and edge dwellers. It's about relationship, ritual, and revolution. It's an experience of radical togetherness, disruptive social change, and emergent creativity. There will be art, beauty, play, grief, gratitude, conflict, intimacy, and community. In other words, this is not the patriarchy's conventional conference. The container at this unconference will be held by a group of 10 co-facilitators from three countries and many walks of life. The group includes poet and spoken word artist Tanur Ali, conflict engagement and resolution practitioner Aftab Erfan, equity and inclusion consultant Desiree Attaway, clinical psychologist and author Bio Acoma Lafay, social entrepreneur Donnie McClurkin, artist and death doula Rachel Rice, educator, facilitator, and indigenous rights activist Aaron Ortega, videographer and artist Beck Stupak, therapist, ritualist, and conference founder Holly Truler, and myself, Carmen Spaniola. For new listeners, allow me to just briefly introduce myself. I'm a clinical hypnotherapist, a somatic trauma resolution practitioner, and a wilderness guide. As of spring 2018, this show, The Numinous Podcast, has been around for four years and over 100 episodes. And occasionally, I'll do a mini-series focusing on a singular topic. Throughout this mini-series, I'll be hosting conversations with my co-facilitators, exploring the threshold upon which we find ourselves as humans living in these challenging times. I'm asking each guest how they see the threshold and why they feel drawn to gather with others in Ashland to tend the threshold. Donnie McClurkin, PhD, is an author and social entrepreneur. Originally from Australia, he moved to the U.S. in 2013, where he runs the Post-Growth Institute, exploring how we accelerate the shift into a thriving, prosperous society within ecological limits. As a consultant, Donnie has helped more than 400 not-for-profit projects start, scale, and sustain their work. An affiliate professor of social science at South Oregon University, Donnie is currently completing his third book, called How on Earth, Our Future is Not-for-Profit. I connected with Donnie online. So Donnie, the event we're co-facilitating, along with other esteemed colleagues, is called Tending the Threshold. How would you describe the threshold that we stand upon as humans in these times? That's a great question. To me, the threshold we're exploring here is both an internal and an external one. 
And I suspect, in fact, uh, so much of it is going to be about how the internal is reflected in the external world. So I think that threshold really is, is one of unpacking the assumptions that, uh, that we lay upon ourselves, that others lay upon ourselves, um, often from a space of questioning or a space of doubt. Um, so that internal work about what makes me who I am and how I respond to certain situations and how is that reflected in others around the world right now? What are we collectively going through? And I think that threshold that we're collectively experiencing is one of uncertainty, uh, one of a deep yearning for something more beautiful, something clearer, um, something that emerges from the complexity that we are both in and have created. And I think also is a yearning for a union internally. Uh, I, I have a wonderful teacher, Tiziana Della Rovere, um, as well as my partner, Cindy Bauman, uh, who are both uh, pioneers, I would say, in, in the work of the inner masculine, inner feminine, and how those two relate. And I think the threshold we're encompassing internally is one of the dance between those two and looking at the unhealthy aspects of our inner masculine or inner feminine uh, and, and how they play out internally, how often our inner masculine will dominate our inner feminine um, or our inner feminine will undermine our inner masculine in ways that can be reflected in the external world. And a lot of the threshold I see us uh, in and at in the external world is one where there's that yearning as well of, of balance or what is it going to take for us to emerge from what appears to be incredible pervasive crises, a constant mode of reactivity, uh, of being on edge. Um, so it's an interesting thing to be on edge and to be at the edge of uh, what I feel is emerging and that is um, a chance, an opportunity for us to really do the inner work uh, and to have it reflected in the outer work and the structures that we, we see in our economy, the way that we interrelate with each other, um, the questions we ask of ourselves uh, in those interactions and the creativity that's waiting to be more fully expressed, I think, in terms of how we can relate with each other. Um, in my own work, which we may have a chance to talk about, the threshold really for mine is that evolution of the economy um, to something that is inherently, uh, I want to say logical, but it's more than logical because that's speaks to that linearity it's it has an inherent wisdom uh built into it the, the economy that i'm envisaging and seeing already emerging around the world so for me the threshold is a space of paradox it's a space of both uh excitement and nervousness uh, of hope and of fear um, of confusion and profound clarity uh, aha moments that are emerging with greater speed and depth, uh, while at the same time the fog seems to be filling the room um, internally for myself and, and externally. So 
Mm. So you brought up the economy. I wonder if you could define for us, what do you mean when you describe post-growth economics? That's another great question. But I think of post-growth economics, uh, and I run an economics institute that grapples with this this notion that there is this yearning for us to thrive, for resources to constantly flow, uh, whether that's money, whether that's time, whether that is... um, physical resources that we have and and just as a quick aside you know the, our, our economy really is based primarily on the environment you know, all things are drawn from that basis uh, energy in particular is underpins the economy and then we have a very important layer that's very often dismissed and that is around the caring economy uh, women often and, and sometimes men in that space of parenting of raising uh, families, of caring for neighbors, family members, friends, etc., in a way where there is no exchange that's looking uh, from a space of how, what can I gain from this interaction. We use the example uh, of parents who have never heard of an example of a parent at the end of, of having a child live with them if it, they're living in a culture where uh, kids traditionally move on and, and out of the home. I've never seen that parent turn around and uh, and present the child with the bill, you know. Here's the cost, right? So we have these layers of an economy on which the market economy, the one that involves the monetary transactions, uh, exists. And in that economy, we have stagnancy that's built into the very way we interact because of how money accumulates. Uh, And without going into too much detail, the the end point of, of... of that angle is to understand that when money accumulates, debt must always accumulate as well, somewhere else, because of how money is lent into existence, which takes a little unpacking, but if we can just understand that assumption, uh, accept that assumption, that debt will constantly expand in an economy, it means that we don't have continuous flow. So a post-growth economy is one in which there is continuous flow that exists within ecological limits. In other words, there's not the constant imperative for growth of the economy in terms of the gross domestic product. We don't always have to increase profit margins. We don't always have to consume more. We don't always have to grow the size of companies. These aspects of our current economy, which are driven by the profit motive, by the notion that I always have to have a greater return on what I put in, I must get more out, are really destructive and they, they're not represented in any aspect of nature. There's no tree that continues to grow and suck resources around it. It's an understanding that all natural living systems thrive when they exist within limits. There's a homeostasis, so to speak. And so post-growth economics is about exploring the multitude of ways we can usher in an economy that isn't dependent on that growth And our work in particular looks at the impressive rise of not-for-profit forms of business where money constantly circulates uh, in service of purpose rather than the other way around. Okay, so since we're at a threshold, I wonder if you could describe then, if if we're leaving a capitalist economics model and moving to a post growth economics model, what role do you see that model playing 
in this process of tending the threshold. Like how this sounds like it gets like a bit of a melee for a while here. So how how do you envision crossing the threshold and how do we use post-growth, <clears throat> pardon me, as an economic model to help us in these large-scale cooperation dilemmas like the economy? Right, right. Yeah, great question. I think that one of the fantastic things about seeing things through a frame of flow within limits is that we begin with the notion of flow in that sentence itself. So how do we have abundance more than enough within limits? It's that paradox again, right? And so the wonderful thing that comes with looking at things through that lens is that we can say, right, what have we already got? What is there that exists that we're perhaps not unearthing to its full capacity. We run, our institute runs a process, for example, called Offers and Needs Markets, where in 90 minutes, a room full of people will have a chance to share in small groups. What are they offering and what do they need from each other and put some qualifiers on how available those offers would be and how urgent those needs are and whether or not they want to trade those for money, for an hourly rate, for gift, for barter, uh, or for free. And the interesting thing is that when we begin in these kinds of ways by looking at what do we have to offer first, not what do we need, but what do we have to offer, our experience is that people have so much richness that they've either forgotten, weren't even aware of, um, or were underutilizing in terms of bringing it out to the world. So for me, one of the ways we tend the threshold, both internally and externally, is we look at what's good. We return to that goodness that exists and we nourish it because our economy is such a beat-down economy that constantly tells you you don't have enough, you never have enough, uh, which has huge psychological and emotional implications for how we then see ourselves internally. So a post-growth uh, frame says there's more than enough. And in fact, it can be a really liberating experience to explore what enough looks like for you because it's not going to be the scarcity, a, a, a continuation of the scarcity mentality. In fact, it's going to be the opposite where you get to really say, what's meaningful for me? What matters for my family, for my neighbors? And what contributions do I have to bring? Well, it's a lot of the stuff that I'm sure many of the people listening uh, grew up with in, if you were in a religious tradition or in a family that was talking about uh, your talents, etc. Commonly, I remember hearing, what do you have to offer this world? You know, what are your particular talents and how are you going to bring them forth? Well, the capitalist system squeezes that through the notion of what talents do you have that can provide you with money that can give you a certain quality of life that is considered high quality. And of course, any time that we're held to ransom in terms of our own decolonization of our own thinking around what our value is, we're going to run into trouble. Historically, that's always been the case. We, when someone else tells us how we should measure our value. So I'm not telling anyone right now how they should measure their value. I mean, I'm suggesting that there is a valuing that can happen internally as we look at what we have to offer. And then from that space of self-appreciation, we're tending the threshold then 
by saying, what do I need? What do I truly need? And what do the people around me truly need to have a life filled with joy and well-being and without simultaneously moving into some kind of space of positivity to say that a world where things are circulating is all, uh, all good, to understand that we are on a journey that is going to continue to involve challenges, that is going to continue to involve us uh, needing to go into the depths of the pain, etc. because even as a new economy is emerging right now, you're right, there's a lot of melee that's, that's going to continue to play out. And, I, and unfortunately, I, the crash that I see emerging on the horizon is going to be horrific, horrific. So our call, I think, is to work out how do we be there for each other and for ourselves through this period of great transition, knowing as well that as a new economic system emerges out of this, and I think it will take 30, 40 years for that to really take a hold as we fall back into the old thinking and thinking that there are ways that we can solve this through, again, Raising, uh, raising the capitalist flag and moving back into profit maximizing because capital, whenever you have a crash, capital gets reset and so people think, great, there's a chance for uh, investment to swell back in and we'll do things better now because we've got an opportunity to think differently now that we're all aware of a crash. Well, there's going to be some hurdles. But even as the new economy emerges, there's also going to be a whole lot of pain that people for the first time ever are going to be able to connect with, just like happens in Truth and Reconciliation Commissions. They need decades for processes to occur because so many wrongs are currently in play. So many wrongdoing, so much wrongdoing is currently being played out, not just in the external world where it's no doubt very prominent, very prevalent, and very clear to many of us how that's happening, but it's also happening internally. So this is a long journey. I think it's uh, the tending of the threshold. Is a, we are at a threshold, and that threshold, I think, will continue to expand mm. as we evolve, as we mm. understand that it's a space for us to stay in, for us to constantly tend, and for us to explore what can emerge when we delve in rather than trying to distance ourselves from the complexities of life as human beings uh, with all of our challenges in a very dynamic world. <laughs> so why do you personally feel drawn to participate in the Tending the Threshold event? I think that I'm called, I feel drawn to participate in an event that's about Tending the Threshold because for me, the opportunities to delve deep with others in a space where a container is sacred um, and the intention has been set from the outset uh, by the organizers is quite rare. So I relish the opportunity to join with others in an experience where we can be real, where we can uh, experience the range of our emotions and feel supported in that process, where we can see things get messy and know that unlike in the real, you know, the outer world where messy usually then leads to projection, leads to all sorts of uh, unresolved tension, that there may be a space here 
for healing to continue uh, in that regard. And also I feel like um, it's important for men in particular um, to share their reflection on the role, the, the dominant role men have had in creating so many of the challenges that have brought us here. I think it's uh, it's obviously important for women to um, to share their voice and I think it's also important for men to stand up and be accountable and say, uh, this is what we have been doing for thousands and thousands of years, is subjugating, uh, is controlling, is dominating. And it's a reflection of me internally as well. Um, and I think there's some, some things I'm looking forward to exploring with others around that, that um, I think can be liberating for us all. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really looking forward to getting real and hopefully experiencing a bit of liberation with you in May in Oregon. Thanks so much for taking the time here with me today, Donnie. I appreciate your thoughts. Thanks so much, Carl. To find out more about Tending the Threshold and to purchase live or live stream tickets, go to tendingthethreshold.com. And please don't let money be a barrier. Organizers have a solidarity fund that sponsors people with marginalized identities and less financial privilege. If you have need and would like to attend, reach out to tendingthethreshold at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us.